To begin with here today, I, I want to pray for us for the morning, but, but I want to use a, a very specific prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, and it's an interesting prayer. It's technically about spiritual change in this church, and, and I want to use that as our, our, our prayer here this morning to begin here this morning. When I think of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, you will empower us as a church with inner strength through the Spirit, so that Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him. I pray that our roots will grow down into God's love and keep us strong. And may we have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May we experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and to Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. As an elder board, we've been wrestling with a question, who are we as a church? And there's one of the pieces to that question that, there's, or maybe say it this way, there's a desire that I have as a church, that we would experience something, and it really fits with that Ephesians chapter 3 prayer. It's that we would embrace the love of God, that we would taste it, that we would sense it deep within our hearts. And you understand, when that happens, something changes within us, and we begin to have a sense of delight about who God is. Delight. And I don't know if you realize this, when a person begins delight in another, delight in especially in terms of God, obedience comes easy. You want to please the one you love and you delight in. And when our delight in that obedience grows, obedience actually then turns into not duty, but it turns into worship. And we worship God as we serve him. See, if we as individuals, or even as a church, if you start with obedience, it has no guarantees that the motive is going to move toward love. Matter of fact, just ask a Pharisee. They started with obedience and never understood the love of God. Matter of fact, I would even push it into the family realm. If you have a family that starts with the primary focus is about obedience, it never ends up well. We start a new series this morning called The Anatomy of a Healthy Home. Now, there's a, a saying that's out there that goes with the home. And a lot of people attribute it to um, Pope John Paul. And here's the quote. Let me put it on the screen. 
As the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. As, with, as the family goes, so goes the nation and everything else following from that. Now, here's what I think that means. That the family is the social institution that is the bedrock, the foundation of any society, any culture, and any nation. And what's happening in the family, in the individual family units, filters out into the culture. Now, here's the challenge, at least for me. One of the frustrations I have in the political world right now and and the social consciousness world is that we don't really want to bring the family into the discussion. This last couple weeks, more school shootings. For me, the, the Houston one hit a little bit closer to home. I have grandchildren in Austin, Texas. Uh, Deanna texted Andy and said, hey, what's happening? How the kid's taking it? And he was having conversations, understand, with his kids about the issue. It impacted them, especially when it's in within you, even within your own state. You feel it in a greater way. But even there, in that discussion, if you listen closely, right away they went to the issue of, of, of guns and how you get to get rid of them. Or on the other hand, let's put guards in the school. Let's deal with the mental health issue. But what you did not hear the whole week is this. What about the family? You understand, within the family, there are kids that are hurting and filled with anger. And we want to ignore it. And and then put in one more piece Add the family, and then I'll put the spiritual world into it. We don't talk about it. We ignore it. See, the reality is, folks, we live in a broken world where sin and Satan reigns. Matter of fact, killing has always been part of our history. If you go back to the very first family... Cain and Abel, guess what? You had a brother that got angry and killed. And that was a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. But let me push this then into our new series as we begin. I want to put a statement on the screen. The spiritual condition of every home matters. And you realize, if the church isn't or doesn't become convinced to this, we're in trouble. And the cycle, even within the nation, will not change. So understand where we're going to go this summer is we're going to be looking at the anatomy, the structures, the understanding of what is a healthy home. Now, I need to explain something here because I chose the word home for a reason instead of even using the word family. Home represents a broader entity, broader understanding. It's a totality. It can include even the structures that we have, the buildings that we have. 
It represents, even if you have an apartment, you understand this, you have a home. All of the functions within that stretch, yes, it includes all the relationship, but it, a home is a place where you retreat to rest. It, it, it's a place where security can happen, safety can happen. It, it, matter of fact, it's even connected to the issue of biblical hospitality. Recognize this as well. You can be a family of one. You still have a home. Some kind of a context, there's a contextual understanding of a home. So it's a broader term. But I, but I have to admit, there's some anxiety that as I start this new series, some tensions that I feel, and I want to put a couple on the screen for you this morning. The first is this. Some people just, they don't think it's relevant. They, they look and go, I'm single. I don't have kids. Uh, I, I, let me just check out Ken. But, but here's how I would state and push back. Do you realize that your home is an opportunity that's been given by Jesus to make a difference? You have an, an opportunity. The home gives it a platform to go beyond just even the family, beyond the marriage, even if you're a family of one. But there's a second tension that I feel as well, is that this series can get people stuck in guilt. See, talking about the family and the home, people feel guilty. And then the tendency is, you know what, I'm just going to check out, I don't want to come you know, and we're going to need to look at parenting, we need to look at marriages, and maybe yours isn't working all that well. And oftentimes, I think the response is this, we go, la, 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 I don't want to hear anything. And my exhortation, we, you know what, putting our heads in the sand does no good for our kids. It does no good for a marriage. You know, e even here in the parenting world, I, can I remind you of this? You'll never be the perfect parent anyway. Now, I, I don't know if you have ever thought of it this way, is that the first two kids that ever existed, they had the perfect parent in God, and they rebelled. And they didn't even have a sin nature. And they walked away and turned their backs. On this, uh, I was off for about eight, nine days, and uh, on vacation, one of the things I was doing, yeah, I was to prep for this series a little bit, I, I listened to a brand new parenting book. It was very good, very detailed, and um, even in listening there, I'd be I'd listening and go along, and go, oh man, I wish I had heard this years ago when I was, haven't had my kids at home. You know, and you wish you could do the reset button at times, even as I was learning but here's the deal, as we move forward, no matter where you're at, you're never done with the home. Uh, on Wednesday night, grandparents were, past Wednesday night, grandparents were invited to a, a video series that the Bordners are doing, and one of, the, one of the sessions was on how do you deal with grown kids that, that, have, that have their own children? What if a relationship isn't perfect with our grown kids? How do you deal with that? 
See, you're still not done in the home world, even connecting with our grown children. So the tension is there. I don't have children. I don't. And they go, ah, push forward. But a third one, I, I think this is the other piece. I don't need this. My, my kids are doing pretty well. My marriage is good enough. So let's just go fishing on weekends. Now, here's what I'd, I'd push back kind of strongly. I'd say this. That actually is a selfish attitude. Because if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are called to be an influencer for him. And it means that you are called to increase in your capacity to learn and to give wisdom and to present things of Christ to other people. It's about helping another person Connect in such a way you connect with them where you're walking with them and you're walking toward Jesus with them and handing them off in one sense to Jesus. That's the call in your life if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to begin by putting a verse on the screen, one that's very familiar. We're not going to dig into it today, but I want to point out something because there's a nuance of Scripture that that adds to the breadth of it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the NIV. It says this from Deuteronomy 6. Key passage for parenting. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Now, if you look at or if you have a more literal translation, in the Hebrew and Greek, they actually don't use the word home. Uh, Some of the more modern ones, paraphrase versions, will almost always use the home. But in this particular case, most of the time, it's the word house. But here's, as I was digging here this week, what I realized, that even in that word house, it's not just about the building. It includes the very tone of what your whole home is about. The tone of your marriage Or maybe you could say the DNA of your marriage or the tone of your parenting. And you go, what is that like? So that's where we're going here. But recognize, let me throw another question on the screen. When you hear the word home, what goes through your mind? What what does it mean to you? How do you feel about that word home? See, See, realize the word home can actually trigger emotions in people, both positive and negative. For some, a home is where joy is at. For a grandparent, when the kids come over, oh, I get to have my kids in my home, and I get to hold them and hug them and give them candy. That's a positive one. But what if it's this? My home is a place to avoid Because we're fighting all the time. Or home is a place for some some children going, I would just want to get out of here as quick as possible. You know, growing up, um, we had some struggles in our family. 
I had an older brother. In ninth grade, he ran away from home. He rode this moped from Kokato to Hutchinson, ran out of gas, pushed it into a cornfield, and hitchhiked and ended up in Denver, Colorado. There the police picked him up at that point. I think he ran out of money at that, at that point. He had a bus ticket to get back. See, for some, that idea of home, avoid it. Fighting. That was the case with my brother. But for some, home is caramel rolls. Smelling the good barbecue. Those are the positive things. But see, some, it just reminds of failure, marriage, parenting, and others, it can be a completely different sense of what that is. See, some of you probably resonated with a number of things in, that, in, the, in those illustrations. But why do I choose this series? And, and today really is the introduction. I have to point out and give you the reasons why we need to go down this path for this summer. So if you got your notes, there's, they're in the back of one of the announcements there. Uh, trying to cut my notes down a little bit here, so make it easier for the inserts. But the first one, letter A, why a healthy home? Why is it important? I said it this way. We believe that God wants this church, GRUFC, to be a place where families are discipled. As a church, we are called to be equipping people to make a difference, and that also means the family. In the home. You know, my son works with millennials and with Generation Z and trying to stir churches to be intentional in that area. And listen, the stats are not getting any better. They're getting worse. Only about 5% of millennials in any sense are connected with, with a, any kind of a depth of relationship with Jesus. 5%. It matters. But there's another reason why. Letter B, I said it this way. A healthy home means a healthier church. It means a healthier youth group. When you have a healthy home, it plays out in the youth ministry of a church. It plays out in the children's ministries. Students and young, young children are more open to hearing the gospel, hearing to the understanding of what Jesus is, is talking about in his word. It benefits those kids profoundly. It benefits the church in that sense. The healthy homes matter when it talks about even a church's expansion and making a difference in the kingdom of God. You know, my previous church um, was a church where I got hired and the size was about 200 people. I was the first youth pastor that was hired. And we were about, again, about 200 people. In 10 years, we grew, we grew to over 1,600 people. And when people would ask and go, okay, why, how, what, how did that happen? And one of the nuances to this is that I believe to this day is at the very core of that 200 people that there was a core of healthy homes that made a difference for, the, for church growth, and it influenced people. They created a foundation within the church that made a difference. See, the home 
impacts this church. Let me give you another one, letter C. A healthy home is to become a way of life that reflects the heart of Christ to our community. It makes a statement in the community in which we live when there are healthy homes. And I, I think this is true. The healthy home is actually becoming the exception, not the norm. But this is also true. When people, when those homes bubble up and when they're shown, when their lights bright are, are shining for the kingdom, people are attracted to that. Families are attracted to that. You know, we lived in Vancouver, Washington, Portland area for 11 years. And the Mormon culture is much stronger out there, much more prevalent. And one of the nuances that if you listen to their ads on television, you will see that they are after the family, after healthy families. And you know what? They don't even have a real Jesus. They don't believe in the same Jesus that we believe in. And they're still committed to it. The church must move and be a representative in the community for healthier homes. But here's the last one where I just need to dig a moment here in the introduction. Letter D, our home has to have a purpose. And it's this, to prepare us for a future time period, a future home. Look at John 14.1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Do you, do you hear what that saying is? That Jesus telling his disciples, this earth, your homes are temporary. But I'm going to go build a, a new home and I'm going to bring you with me. And you're going to come and live with me. Do we catch that? Let me show you another one that speaks to the same thing. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. And go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. See, Abraham understood something that even in the midst of leaving home, going to a new land, that even that was temporary. There was something in the future that was even more important. Not just the land of Israel. But because of that, there's a question that I've got to throw at you. And it's such an important question for your notes. I said it this way. What is the purpose of your home right now? What's the purpose? If I gave you a sheet of paper and, and said, okay, half a page. What's, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of meaning of our home? Is your home about the structure 
And the goal is to, I got to have the most grand structure with the garages that will house the toys. Is that the purpose of your home? Or maybe, let me push this a little farther. Is the purpose of your home just your marriage? Is that the bottom line for your home? Is your marriage? If that's the ultimate purpose, you need to understand one thing. When you get to the the next home, your real home, marriage ceases. There's no more marriage. It was never intended to be the final goal of our lives. But what if you have kids or maybe grandkids? Is that the purpose? The, the great, if they looked at your time, energy, your money, is that the purpose of your home right now? Is that the ultimate plan of your life, the goal of your life? You know, I, I've been observing and reading and even younger parents are, you know, taking, taking parenting seriously. And that's actually a very good thing. I think much more than even my generation and even older. But it also, understand, can be a challenge because, understand this, our children was never intended to be the spiritual universe in which we live. There's a a couple of terms out there. You've maybe heard of them. Have you heard of helicopter parents? Hovering above their kids. It's why coaches are running from coaching. Helicopter parents are calling them up, complaining all the time. They're hovering over the school system. Matter of fact, there's even times where helicopter parents are calling their university professors when their kids are in college and complaining because you're getting you're, my kid too much work. That's a helicopter parent. But I learned a new term this week in studying. Now we got lawnmower parents. Cutting that grass so short to make sure that our kids have no tension, no worries, no problems, and hovering that close like a lawnmower. Realize this if the goal of our home is about our children and our marriage, and that is the universe we we as its meaning and purpose, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. It was never intended to be like that. The home is supposed to be something different, broader. It's to prepare us for a future home. Let me put a statement on the screen here. Our homes are to be purposed for God's glory and proclaiming the name of Jesus. See, that's very different than just my kids, my marriage, my structures, my stuff, my place of security. There's a spiritual component that we too often allow or we dabble in it, we just let it slip away. Our homes are to be used where there's transformation taking place. Sanctification taking place. To get us ready for a future place. 
And maybe we don't think it's relevant at this point, but folks, it is. But here's where I'm going to tease you for a couple weeks out here. Just even the next couple weeks, we're going to come back to this illustration. I want to end with this one illustration that actually was told by my son. He challenged me with it. And uh, illustrate what? Okay, Memorial Day weekend. Some of you are having maybe your first campfire. Anybody have a campfire yet this weekend? A number of you have already had a campfire. Okay? Think of that campfire as your life. That's your life. And, and Jesus is supposed to be burning in you. The heat that's coming off that fire is the love of Jesus and the, the things of Jesus that are supposed to be spreading out from you. Now, let me put up another picture. If you are a follower of Christ, who is around your campfire? Who is feeling the heat of God working in your life? There's heat that somebody is sensing from you because God is burning in you. Who's around those little stools? Who's sitting around your campfire? Parents, let me ask you a question. Have you considered what you being a campfire and your kids sitting around you, what that's about? Do they feel the heat of Jesus coming off of you? Or, or are your embers, is everything burned out? Where they're just not feeling any heat of, the, of your campfire with Jesus? Do you understand the tension there? But even to go farther here, I mean, with this picture here, are the only ones around your campfire your children, your relatives? Is that it? See, have we reduced the Great Commission to go and make disciples of my kids? Is that it? Is that really what that says? I I don't think so. But let me throw one more slide up here. Now that fire is not you. That fire is Jesus. And his love, his teaching, his, the essence of who he is, is radiating out. And he has a group of people around him that's attracted to that fire. But here's the question. Are you sitting up in a chair that's close? Or are you taking that chair and, and putting it away from Jesus would you say that you're right up close to the fire, that you can put a, put a stick and, and touch it? Or are you sitting somewhere way back, oh, I see the fire. I, I see the fire over there. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. But nothing is reaching you. You feel no heat from Jesus. You don't sense his love. You don't sense his compassion. Matter of fact, you'd never understand 
or sense his jealousy toward you or his frustration with you. Do you realize that God gets jealous when we give our love and we're walking away from the campfire? Do we know that? This series is about what does it mean to bring Christ as the center of our home? And where we're glowing and our kids are being influenced and others are, it's going beyond the family. But the home makes a difference.